Several years ago, Laura and I had the opportunity to build a new house. And when it was at a point where it was completely framed up, similar to the picture you see in front of you, we invited our entire congregation to come over one Sunday afternoon for an activity. We asked everybody to bring their favorite Bible verse And when they arrived, we gave everyone a Sharpie pen, and we asked them to walk around the house and write their Bible verse on an exposed piece of wood. We wanted to do that primarily for two reasons. One is, I wanted our two sons to know that we believe that that our life is to be built on, even our home is to be built on God's promises. But the other reason I wanted to do this was I wanted to to be kind of a challenge to our congregation to pull out from them their favorite scriptures, God's Word that has encouraged them, God's Word that they've held on to, God's Word that has guided them so far in their life. I will tell you how encouraging it was to walk around the house after that activity and read verse after verse after verse of what people wrote. Verses of Scripture that have guided their lives, encouraged them in their lives, that they've held on to in their life. And my guess is that most of us, probably all of us, could easily identify a Bible verse that has been meaningful to you. Maybe it was your confirmation verse. Or maybe it was another verse that you read somewhere along the way in life, but ever since that you've just been holding on to it and keeping it close to your heart and mind. Well, I share this with you because I would suggest that if there were a top ten list of Bible verses to hold on to in life, What we heard this morning from Hebrews 4, 14 to 16 would have to be in that list. Listen to these words again. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Well, first of all, what is this high priest? In the Old Testament, the tribe of Levi was set apart from all the other tribes Instead of receiving an allotment of land, as the other tribes did, the tribe of Levi were assigned the responsibility of being the priestly tribe. And as the priests, they were the ones to conduct all the religious rites and rituals for the people. And one of those is that on one time a year, on the Day of Atonement, the high priest would enter the Holy of Holies in the temple. He would first make a sacrifice for his sins, and then he would make a sacrifice for the sins of everybody else. 
In doing this, he acted as a mediator between God and his people. But we hear in Hebrews that that's not needed anymore. Why? Because Jesus is our high priest. And as our high priest, he didn't pass through the holy of holies in the temple, but instead he passed through the heavens. Jesus came from heaven to earth and back to heaven again. He didn't come to sprinkle the blood of an animal for the sins of people. He came and offered his own blood. Jesus is our mediator between us and God. He's our high priest. And so it's because he has passed through the heavens for us. It's because he has shed his blood for us. It's because he's a mediator for us. It's because he's the high priest for us. Then the writer of Hebrews tells us that we are to hold on firmly to him. We don't hold on lightly. We don't hold on hesitantly. We don't hold on reluctantly. We don't hold on loosely. We hold on to him firmly. A few chapters after this in the book of Hebrews, chapter 10, verse 23, the writer of Hebrews says, let us hold on unswervingly to the faith that we profess. Let us hold on unswervingly. What that means is that no matter what else happens in life, you don't let go. There may be times, there are times, when you and I feel like we're tossed back and forth in life. There are times when we experience ups and downs. There are days that we have highs and lows. There are good days and there are bad days. But no matter what happens, you can keep holding on firmly. Why? Because he's holding on to you firmly. And he won't let you go. In the Gospel of Luke, chapter 18, Jesus tells a parable of a persistent widow. Apparently, again and again, she comes to a judge pleading for justice, but for some reason the judge keeps ignoring her. However, even though he doesn't respond to her, she won't give up. She's relentless, she's persistent, she's unyielding, and so Finally, because of her tireless tenacity, the judge gives in. He gives in because she held on and she wouldn't give up. She held on unswervingly. And at the end of that parable, Jesus points to this widow and he says, when the Son of Man returns, will he find such faith on this earth? That's what Jesus is looking for in your life and mine. You have a high priest who has shed his blood for you. You have a high priest who has gone into the heavens for you. You have a high priest who has interceded for you with God the Father. You have a high priest who has offered his life for you. When the Son of Man returns again, will he find faith? in you and me because we know that there's a lot of things in this life that are uncertain 
There are a lot of things in this world that seem so unstable these days. There are a lot of things in life that just don't make sense right now. But the reason we know the words of Hebrew 4, 14 to 16 is so important is because Jesus is the one we can always hold on to firmly. And because we can, then we know that we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with us in our weakness. But we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he is without sin. It's kind of interesting to me that some translations word this, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with us in our weakness. And yet, some translations word this, we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with us in our weakness. Empathize or sympathize, what's the difference? Well, one way to explain this is sympathy is when you share the feelings or emotions of someone else because you've been in a similar situation yourself. You can actually say, I've been there. But empathy is when you understand what somebody's gone through. You haven't experienced the same thing yourself necessarily, but you can understand what they're going through. Sympathize or empathize. Either way, Jesus understands. He understands our pain because he's experienced excruciating pain. He understands and identifies with our temptations because he too was tempted. In the wilderness, he was tempted to deny God. In the wilderness, he was tempted to trust Satan over God. In the wilderness, he was tempted to to hold on to the riches of this world rather than the truth of God's word. Jesus was tempted. And maybe it's very likely that throughout his earthly life, there may have been other times that Jesus was tempted to. Maybe when he walked in Zacchaeus' house, he was tempted by all of his wealth and his riches. Maybe he was tempted to get revenge on the people who turned against him that he had trusted in them. The point is, we do not have a Savior, a high priest, who is unable to empathize or sympathize with our temptations or our pain and our weaknesses. But we have one who understands. Someone once challenged C.S. Lewis as to whether Jesus really does understand what we face. The person said, after all, since Jesus never sinned, how can he truly understand what it's like to be tempted? And to that, Lewis responded with these words. Only those who try to resist temptation know how strong it is. A man who gives in to temptation after five minutes simply does not know what it would have been like an hour later. But Christ, because he was the only man who never yielded to temptation is also the only man who knows to the full what temptation means. In other words, he understands. And because he understands, 
then let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we can receive mercy and grace to help us in our time of need. Let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence. You see, in light of the fact that we have a great high priest, in light of the fact that he is our mediator, in light of the fact that he sympathizes or empathizes with our weakness and our temptations and our pain, in light of the fact that he understands what we go through in life, we can have confidence in him. Confidence not in ourselves, but in him. You see, you and I have no reason to say to God, I think I've been pretty good this week. I don't really need you this week. You and I don't have any reason to say to God, you know, I think there was only a couple of bad things I did. I'm going to keep adding those up and, and I'll see you in a month. You and I have no reason to say to God, I'm good on my own. If our confidence is in ourselves, we're sunk. But we have confidence as we approach the throne of grace. Notice that he doesn't call it a throne of wrath. He doesn't call it a throne of punishment. He doesn't call it a throne of judgment. Why? Because Jesus bore our punishment. He took on our wrath. He faced our judgment. And so now we approach the throne of grace with confidence to receive mercy and grace in our time of need. I'm sure you remember what the words grace and mercy mean, right? Grace is receiving what we do not deserve. Mercy is not receiving what we do deserve. And it's all because we have a high priest, Jesus, who has passed through the heavens for us that we receive grace and mercy. I don't know about you, but after hearing those words again, don't you think Hebrews 4, 14 to 16, is, are words worth holding on to in life? In light of the story that I told you at the beginning of the message, I'm going to suggest that we do a version of that activity that we did at our home that day. I'm going to suggest that we do a version of that activity here at church. Next week, you're going to see a display in the Welcome Center that's a part of our stewardship emphasis this year. And the theme that I'm using for our stewardship emphasis is, count me in. And what I have in mind with that is that in a number of different ways, we want to demonstrate as the people of God in this place, regardless of anything else that's happening in life, regardless of anything that's ever gone on in the church, regardless of anything that's taking place, count me in. I'm a part of what we're doing here, and I'm committed to that. And so because we hold on firmly... Because we worship a God who understands us, because we have confidence in Him, count me in. So I'm going to suggest that we do a part of what I mentioned earlier by identifying our favorite Scripture passages. Now don't get nervous. I'm not going to give you a Sharpie and ask you to write it on the walls of the church here. I, I think Dan, our congregation president, would have me kicked out if I uh, suggested that. 
But in the Welcome Center, there's going to be a series of cards, various different colors, and one of those is going to be a card where we're going to ask you to write your favorite Bible verse or Bible verses, place it into that box. When all is finished after a few weeks, when we do that, our financial commitments and other things, we're going to share out those Scripture passages with one another so that we all can hold on to the words of God that sustain us as his people. God understands us. We want to build our lives on his promises that we hold on to until he does come again where he desires to find faith in us all. In Jesus' name, amen.